Don't do anything in life because your dad wants you to do it or your mom wants you to do it. Do it because you want to do it. He goes, if you want to go be a ballerina and go live a whatever, like I'll be there, I'll cheer you on, I'll come to your shows, whatever you want, dude, just do it for you though. Don't do it for me or for whatever. And I remember leaving that meeting totally changed. And I remember going to school, seventh grade, I went to school and I started going to school because I wanted to go to school because I was like, I need to get good grades because I need to go to college. I need to like have a life. Like I need to build something for myself. When it comes to building a business empire online while intentionally cultivating a thriving life at home with kids, well, there is no roadmap. It's not easy, but the great news is we're not alone. We live in a crazy world that is truly unlike any other time in our history. And if you're like me, you've got an impact of your own to make, but you're not willing to sacrifice your relationship with those that you love in order to get it. My name is Stephanie Dove Blake, and this is the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast where we'll journey together to learn what it means to be a truly powerful parent. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. Today's guest is someone who is truly redefining the game. And I'm so excited that I got to have a conversation with him because Bridger Pennington is not your typical entrepreneur. He's a visionary who is changing the landscape for fund managers everywhere. I didn't even know what a fund was until I met Bridger, but he's completely blown my mind. And Bridger has already accomplished what many people dream of. And he's in his late 20s. He's helped thousands of entrepreneurs launch successful funds through his company, Fund Launch. They have shattered the old belief that fund management is reserved for Wall Street elites or Ivy League graduates. But what I find truly fascinating about Bridger is how his innovative approach to business translates over into his personal life because of the way he thinks about business coming into how he thinks about life. So he's also the host of a podcast called Bullish, one of my favorite podcasts. And he is the father of a two-year-old son. So he's already crafting a unique path for his family's legacy in everything that he does, just as much as he's crafting this incredible path for his business. So our conversation, we got to dive into three different pillars that he's been focusing on in parenting. So he talked about instilling faith or, or things that he's learned from his family and his wife, Lauren's family, where you know they've created these generations of legacy where sometimes there's three and four generations living together in health and beauty and just doing incredible things in life. And so he looked at how he has distilled that down into some pillars that he is implementing into his own life as a young father. And those include instilling faith, having teaching your kids a sense of responsibility and self-governing, and also self-reliance. And we also dove in and we tackled the pitfalls of what if you have a financial umbilical cord still stuck to your kid and the dynamics of helicopter parenting and also the importance of teaching children to engage confidently with adults. So I want you to get ready for a thought-provoking episode that's guaranteed to challenge you and definitely it's going to inspire you. Here we go. All right, guys, welcome back to the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast. I'm here with the Bridger Pennington, and I couldn't be happier to get to share him with you. If you've never heard of this man, you are in for a treat. Him and his wife are uh, raising a two-year-old son who is just absolutely adorable. But what I find is just absolutely amazing is some of the conversations I got to have briefly with Bridger and his wife on the thought processes they have around uh, raising their kids in, in, in this day and age and kind of what we've got going on. And so I asked Bridger if he would come on and share some of his thoughts and just for you guys get to experience Bridger and kind of the things that he's been up to. I think you're going to absolutely love this podcast. So first off, Bridger, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on and chat with me. I really appreciate it. Well, dude, Stephanie Dub Blake, what an honor it is to be here with you. This is awesome. So I'm just honored to be here. I love, I love hearing all your, I know we've been in entrepreneur groups together and talking, talking shop, talking business a lot. And it's fun to talk family as well. And just anyways, I'm honored to be here. It's gonna be fun. Oh, well, I can't wait to dive in. So I guess the first place I'd love to start is something that um, I usually run across whenever I'm having these conversations is it's either I had the best childhood ever. I had amazing parents or, you know, there's some struggles that people have had. And I know for you and your wife, you both um, both say, oh, man, I had amazing parents. And so you particularly had uh, just this crazy experience growing up with a father who was like a megastar in business, right? Could you tell us a little bit about that and and what it was like being raised by him and your mom? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, me and my wife, we both at least will say, yeah, we had great parents growing up, great families. It was awesome. Yeah, obviously with not without problems, every family has problems. And I think it's funny. I don't know. I talk to people. Maybe you could disagree with me. Some people choose to be victims in life and other people choose to be victors. And we both chose to be victors, I would say. 
And so, yeah, well, there's problems growing up. We've had, and actually we can dive into, I had a brother commit suicide when I was 16. I've had, you know, parents split up. We've had some other bad stuff in our family, but overall I look back like, man, I, my parents did a pretty good job. You know, I thought I'm, I'm happy they were there. I have two, I have two parent privilege. I had two parents growing up that were on their first marriage, both of them still on their first marriage. That's a huge privilege that I have. My, my wife's the same way. And so we, uh, we love that. My dad, you mentioned my dad. Yeah. He, uh, he, uh, launched a bunch of business, very entrepreneur. I had no idea the amount of success he had. We lived in a very normal house. He drove a car with a dent in the door my whole childhood. Um, we were all, we were taught very good financial principles, how to save. We were saving for college. I mean, we were like, it was a very, I would say entrepreneurial home. And we lived in a very normal neighborhood. We lived near the rich people. All my friends were like in these big houses, but we lived in kind of a smaller house. And, uh, come to find out, uh, my dad was running like a multi-billion dollar investment fund. Um, huge. Now, after all of his kids left the house, he went and bought a huge house and has a nice car now. And <laughs> he has vacation homes and has spent all this money. But while we were like, till I, I'm the youngest kid, till I was out of high school, he, he kept it pretty under wraps, which is pretty cool. Um, and I mean, I mean, I'm talking multi-billion dollar fund. Like they currently, they manage 10 times more money than Cardone Capital to put it oh in perspective. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's how much money they currently, it's the same asset class. They're buying multifamily real estate. My dad's now retired. He's out of the game now, but that's how big their scale is now. And just to put it in perspective, you know, compared to Grant Cardone, similar asset class running investment funds, real estate funds. And so we can dive into that whole story if you want. It's pretty funny, but uh, <laughs> I learned like, I'll, I'll tell you quickly. I, I didn't know my dad was rich. I started, I started six businesses my first years of college. My dad was like, Hey, go talk to my business partner. This guy can really help you out. I drive to my business, my dad's business partner's house. And he lives in this beautiful mansion, gorgeous house, white, beautiful. I go knock on the door. I come and sit down. He's got, I mean, he's got cars in the garage. He's got basketball court in his basement, pool in the backyard, like huge home. Long story short, I sit down and go, how did you get all of this? Like, how'd you do this? And he goes, we started a bunch of funds, investment funds. And we'd done pretty well. At the time, they were managing $8 billion of real estate, which is two times bigger than Cardone Capital is today, just to put it in perspective. So I was like, holy crap, you got to teach me about this. Like, can I, can I, can you be my mentor? Like, I'll get you coffee in the morning. I'll do whatever you need, dude. I'm there. And he said, go talk to your dad. Your dad knows about this way more than I do. I said, no, my dad's kind of poor. We live in a small <laughs> house. Like, I want to learn from you. Like, you're obviously rich. Like, dude, can you be my mentor? And in a roundabout way kind of said, me and your dad make about the same amount of money. And my chin dropped to the floor. I was like, huh? Like, come again? Like, what? <laughs> I drove straight to my dad's house. I was like, dad, what the heck? Like, <laughs> why haven't I been able to order a soda at Chipotle for the past 10 years? Because it's too expensive. But yet you're running this multi-billion dollar fund. And anyways, long story short, he kind of laughed and he ended up teaching me about investment funds. And I ended up launching my own fund. And I've launched uh, three different funds since then. And launched a whole company. My dad's never invested or been a part of my companies, but just been a great mentor and coach. And we can talk about that with money and kids. It's one of my favorite topics is like how do rich, rich people raise kids, good or bad. And I thought my dad did a phenomenal job of raising a couple, you know, three sons that value money and still to this day has never invested in my funds or deals or projects or companies, but has been a great mentor and coach, but has always been on the sidelines and helped me build confidence, building my own companies and stuff. And anyways, been really cool. Um, we can dive into that more, but my dad's an incredible person. Uh, my mom's an incredible person. And anyways, it's, it's, I think I come from a, a great family. Yeah. So, so talk to me about that. So did he, was he intentionally like, not until my kids are out, why use all this money? Like, or, or, or was it something that just because it was the circumstances and, and how life was going, or was he just like, no, this is how I'm going to raise my kids. And, and like, did he reveal that to you? I think it was a, a mix of both. He's a very conservative by nature. My dad grew up in ghetto North Las Vegas, came from nothing. And so he started making money. And some, I guess people go both ways. Some people like if they grew up poor, they make some money, they just spend it. My dad was the exact opposite. He made money. He was like, dude, I have a chance. Like I'm going to just, he's a saver. And so he always saved and just kind of compounded, bought everything cash, like never wanted debt leverage. He got audited by the IRS on one of his first companies back in like the nineties. And I think it really... He ended up being clean and stuff, but it really scared him. Like, man, people can just show up and like demand a million dollars from you and you don't realize. So like, he just played a very conservative game always just in case, you know? And finally, and, and then I think growing, having kids too, he, I think he wanted kids that understand how to work and value work and had jobs and stuff. And, and he didn't, doesn't care for really nice things that I don't think anyways, he just drive. he, he still, he drives a, a white F-150 truck. He drives a third, not 2013 Tesla like an old Tesla still this day. And he, I mean, he lives in a big house now and other stuff, but like, he just is very conservative that way. And so I think it was twofold. 
Um, he plays a very safe risk profile. Like he, you know, he's, he just, he's hanging out and he's worth, you know, a lot of millions of dollars. And, uh, <laughs> so anyways, I think it was kind of twofold. So how, how's that going to translate for you with your son? Like, are you thinking along the lines of like, how am I going to do the same thing with my son? Or do you think it's going to look different? I interview a lot of people on my show about this question, like, and people that were like, have been rich for a long time. Like, how do you raise kids? And I, I get different answers all the time, but a, a good answer that I liked actually, and this came from the Rockefellers actually. So if you look back at those ancient families that they were kind of the Titans of industry, the Rockefellers are the, are the only ones today that still have their wealth. The Vanderbilts, the JP Morgans, they've all lost their money, all those families besides the, the Rockefellers. And what they did different from the, so the Vanderbilts just gave their kids money and their kids expect money. And then by the second or third generation, all the money was gone. The Rockefellers did something interesting. Uh, they formed what they would call uh, a family bank and or you could call it a family fund. So for example, what we would do is if me and my wife, let's say we had a lot of money or you and your husband have a lot of money, you'd have a bank, your kids could come and let's say they turn 23 and they want to get into real estate or start a business. We're not going to give them money. They've got to come and pitch the family investment committee. So they got to come have a presentation ready to go. And we meet every quarter. And maybe it's the, the aunts and uncles or whoever it is all meet together and we have an investment committee and you come and present and we vote if you're a good investment or not. Wow. And, if, and it, it's not like we're going to give you money. It's a loan, but it's at cheap. So if let's say the granddaughter wants to borrow uh, $500,000 to buy a duplex. Okay. She comes and presents. We think it's a good deal. We poke some holes in it. You know what? We're going to give you $500,000 at a 1% interest rate. So it's cheap money, but she's got to pay it back, right? And if she doesn't pay it back, she's a bad borrower. And because of that, we're probably not going to lend to you in the future. See how that works? And so they're still on the line. They just have access to cheap capital. Same with like college. Hey, I want to go to this expensive university. Great. We'll give you a loan at 1% interest rate, but you still got to pay it back. You're still responsible for that choice and making it make sense to go to that expensive university. You didn't get a scholarship. So sorry, you got You're on the line or you got to find a scholarship or figure it out, get grants. Like you, it's crazy what happens when people are pushed and need to do something. So anyways, that was their idea and it worked really well. What, what it was, was access to cheap capital and you had to pay it back on a loan basis. So what it does, that encourages entrepreneurship. It encourages risk-taking at a, uh, you know, not, ju not just blatant risk, but like calculated risk, right? Knowing that they have an opportunity and chance to do more and because they have cheap access to capital. So that was a pretty cool idea. My, my parents want to want to, they haven't done it yet, but they want to do something like that. And then what can happen is the grandkids can then sit in on the investment committees and they get to sit in, like maybe when they turn 15 years old, they can sit in and start listening to how the family talks about deals and investments. And then when they're 18, they can maybe start having a proxy vote or whatever. And then when they're 21, maybe they can start voting on deals or, hey, we're going to give to this charity. Do we like it or not? And we're going to argue and debate it. And what happens is you have seven or eight or 10 people there and you see how you think through deals and how you invest and how you run a family office. And you're all kind of tied together rather than, oh, grandpa, can you just give me money? Like, you're such a jerk. If you don't give me money, like, please, like, it's just, it's a, and then you're feel this, that that's where it creates entitlement. All of a sudden you're entitled and I deserve that money. That's my money. And then what happens is resentment builds and then kids. And, and it's really sad. I've, I've been, I get to hang out with a lot of very wealthy families and they what happen whether it's divorce or something bad happens in the family that parents feel like, Oh, I've got to just compensate. So I'm just going to give my kid money or phones to your matter. I'm just, I got to compensate somehow. So I'm just going to give them more devices. And what happens is the very thing you think will help your think your kids will like you more. It actually creates more entitlement and resentment over time. Um, I was with a family last week, uh, a couple of weeks ago and <laughs> at this event and the dad's sitting there and he's like, yeah, my son's at Clemson. He just texted me and he wants $10,000 to go hang out in Vegas for the weekend with his friends. And I was like, my jaw dropped just like yours. I was like, huh? And he's like, yeah, I'll probably give it to him. I mean, I mean, I, I pay for his rent. I pay for his car. I pay for his tuition. I pay for everything. And you know, whatever. And yeah, I, I mean, I used to do that to my dad back in the day or whatever. And yeah, I'll probably send the money. And I was, and I literally said, this isn't a big, like nice gathering. We were all formally dressed. I was like, cut the umbilical cord, like cut it <laughs> off. Like do not. And he like looked up and he's like, are you serious? And I was like, I was like, cut the umbilical cord. You cannot do this. Like, do not send your kid 10 grand to go to Vegas. Like that's insane. Like, and your kid's not going to like you anymore. He's just going to build more it's, it's not, it's actually doing him a disservice in the law. Yes. It yes. is going to hurt your kid more than it, it helps them. 
and I'm, I'm, and um, anyways, I go on and on about this topic, but, um, it's very interesting to seeing wealthy families and kind of this divide of this. And I, I, it's one of my favorite topics to study and think about. Well, and I, I, Bridger, you're bringing up a really amazing point that I don't think we've gotten to talk about yet, because w- what happens is we get parental guilt, right? Whether it's for whatever reason, maybe there's a divorce in the family or some kind of traumatic event, or you're overcompensating because of something you didn't have as a child and trying to make yourself feel better, um, which, you know, we're all human. We all make these crazy decisions and stuff. But I, I think it always starts at a really young age. And so I'm curious, what would be your thoughts about like allowance? And does a kid get allowance like chores in the home and, and things like that? Like, what are you thinking about for your son as he's growing up? And, I, and again, I know um, I, I, I feel bad because Bridger, he's like, hey, my kid's like two years old. I'm not acting like I know all the answers here. But we always make our plans, right? And I, I appreciate your brain and your heart and the way you think about things. And so I'm so curious, what are you already thinking for your son whenever it comes to like, will he get an allowance for a certain amount? Like, did your dad do that for you? And and what are you thinking around those lines? Yeah. Well, yeah. Preface, everyone's a perfect parent until they have kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> everyone knows how to parent teenagers until they have a teenager. So I have a two, two, almost, I guess, almost two and a half year old son. He's awesome. We talk about this a lot, but I I don't know. I'll just share my opinion with my yeah. limited knowledge of of raising kids. Um, my dad uh, that I remember, I had an allowance for a short period of time, but it went away. I never, I didn't, I don't remember really having allowance ever. Um, I personally am not in favor of a, an allowance. What we did as kids was it was just that's the chores. Like that's just that's your rent to live here is. And my, like, I don't know, we, my parents could have paid for people to come clean the house. I mean, we, it was toilets. It was the yard. It was edging the lawn. It was cutting the hedges. We did all the yard work. Me and my brothers, like we was every Saturday. That was our chore list. If there were one-off things to make money, uh, we could, we could apply to do those. So like, Hey dad, can I paint the fence for 150 bucks? Sure. You know, it's going to take you a full whatever. And we we would do stuff like that. So if it was a big project or big job, we would like petition the family, you know, hey, we want to do this big project. Can we get paid for it? And usually it was, yes, we could earn some money. Um, but earning money for like weekly chores, I don't, I personally, I don't, I don't like, I think it's just part of your rent to live at the house. Yeah, <laughs> And that's just part of being a child is like, this is what life is like. That's at least how I was raised. And I like that. And my parents worked right alongside us too. Like they, they were out helping with us, the family chores and we, we were all doing it together. And my mom was right there. Funny story. Actually, my brother, when he was uh, like 11 years old, he comes downstairs. He's like, <laughs> he said, he goes, mom, what do you even do around here all day? <laughs> like we're at school. What do you even do at home all day? <laughs> and she goes, oh, really? Uh, why don't you do your laundry? And from that day, henceforth, all of us boys, we did all of our own laundry. I did my own laundry since I was like seven years old. You had to take your basket, took it to the laundry, you had to move it. You then had to fold it. You then had to put it away. And I did I did my own laundry pretty much my whole life. And my brother was so mad. My, my oldest brother, we were so mad at my middle brother. Like, shut up, dude. Like, what are you doing? But Look I think it builds did. self-reliance. It builds self-reliance. It builds, you know, you're part of, you're part of a system. You're helping out the family. My parents were very good at giving us responsibility as well. So we would plan things out. Like if it was, we do a family night once a week and like I, as a six-year-old boy, I was in charge of family. Like I had to plan it. Okay. What's the activity? What are we going to do? Are we, are we try to do an activity or something fun or maybe a game at home? Like I got a plan. I'd have to assign people to like say the, we'd, we'd start with a prayer or something, like an opening prayer. Like who's going to be in, like, I would have to be the one like as a six-year-old. And so they did a really good job of that. I think of building responsibility, guilt, building character. Like you were, I was a contributor to the family and I was part of this family. And anyways, I can go on and on, but um, that was a cool lesson. I feel like that's also too, so important. Um, one of the aspects that I feel like we miss a lot today is that as human beings, we want a place to belong. And in order to have a sense of belonging in our families, we have to have a sense of responsibility and like we provide value. And so, yes, it teaches them value by just having responsibility itself, but it also helps them assimilate and actually find value within the family unit, which makes us stronger and also makes the heart and the confidence of the individual stronger. And a lot of times I feel like people who maybe they had a childhood where they were overworked or or whatever in their opinion, then they'll try to make sure that their kid doesn't have to lift a finger. But oftentimes that, again, it's kind of like with the the other part, we're talking about just giving your kid tons and tons of money. Well, not having your kid have responsibilities in the home can also make them kind of float about what, what, what am I capable of? What, you know, what, and whenever they 
have a responsibility. Like you as a six-year-old, I, I can only imagine what kind of pride you must have had that you organized the family meeting, right? As a six-year-old. Oh yeah, and like, it was amazing, yeah. 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 And you walk away from that. It's like, I'm capable of doing that. So Bridger, little six-year-old Bridger learned, I'm capable of doing this on behalf of my family, which builds confidence and a place to belong and a sense of value amongst your other family members. And so, wow, that's really incredibly smart of them. So I think that's one takeaway we can all take away just as far as recognizing that, you know, at a young, young age, kids are capable of so much more than what we than what we ask of them. And my kids are now, uh, let's see, I got 10, 15, about to be 18 and 21. And so I will say, as I've gotten further down in the lineage of like, I'm on my fourth, fourth baby, right? She's now 10. She's probably been asked to do less than any of the other ones just because she's the fourth and the older ones are doing all these things. But we were talking about it recently, how, how, how important it is for her to have what we're talking about right now. And how do we give her more of that? Because she is the fourth one. There's not quite as much for her to have the responsibility of. And we just want to kind of baby her a little bit more because she's the youngest. But how that's not actually serving her, even though it's actually easier than ever to do that for her. But that we need to look critically and we need to give her those things that she can own that responsibility in. So that's that's freaking phenomenal. Do you all know how many kids you want to have? Like, are you guys... have you? Do you have a plan? We... I mean... We'll we'll throw around like three or four, maybe five. But I think we're gonna just play it by play it by kids. I we've had we have a lot of friends that are like I'm gonna have this many kids, and then what happens is the plan gets blown up because they have a crazy kid, you know. So I don't think we're gonna like say we have a plan, but we, I think we target like a. Hopefully, we can have three or four kids, something like that. It'd be pretty yeah. fun. Maybe five. Okay. I don't know. We'll see how we do. Maybe <laughs> we'll, ten. We who might knows? have two if we're bad, or one if it's like terrible. But hopefully, we can have some more. Yeah. But I we have this kind of vision, me and my wife, though of 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 having, you know, you talk about like having a vision for a company or family or whatever. We actually talk about this actively. Like there's certain families that we actually know of. Cause we, so me and my wife grew up on the same street. So we've known each other like our whole lives. I know her family very in depth. We, her family is unreal, by the way. She comes from an amazing family. Like her, both her in-laws and side families are just incredible in our area of where we live in Utah. I mean, you talk about like incredible people, like her, her one side family, uh, her grandparents have, I think 60, descendants that with married people in of like of those six, we all go to family reunions together of the 60. I think one has been divorced. Oh, wow. Like one family. That's it. Like they have, I mean, and not to say that's the only rate of success, but like, that's pretty cool. Like they have, I don't know, 15 to 20 families that are just doing well and like contribute to society doing like launching incredible businesses. Like they are like, I go to their family reunions, like I don't know, 15 of the guys all have six packs. Like they're all like tall, <laughs> handsome, like incredible, cool people. Like they're just amazing. And same with my, even my, my parents' family has done, they just, we have some really cool families and you can see the fruits of really good labors. And so what we've, me and my wife have done is we've identified a few families and that we know of, like, we want to be like them. And you know, those families that are just amazing. Like they have incredible kids that like go and serve society and do well, like, and crush it. And we're like, can we build a family like that? Can we build a family that's not just a passive, whatever family can actively grow family? Because I, I think what I've realized in life, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm young and naive, but the biggest flex, at least currently for me, I know a lot of friends that have jets or cars or certain homes or whatever. The biggest flex for me is someone who has been married to their first spouse for 50 years and has kids, grandkids, and great grandkids that are amazing contributor society. Like they have three generations beneath them of the fruits of their marriage. That is the biggest flex I think on planet earth, because guess what? You can't buy that. You, you have to, you can't even build it alone. You have to build it with someone else. And it takes, it's not like a decade. It's, it's multiple decades to build. But when you build it, it's, I think it's the biggest flex on earth. When I see these generationally amazing families and that are just good humans, like salt of the earth, great people. And yeah, there's going to be some one-offs here and there, but like overall, the fruits of this tree are amazing. Me and my wife are like, man, can we do that? Can we build that? Now that's not, I said that that's kind of the ideal. If you've been divorced, if you've, if you've had, that doesn't mean you can't achieve that. You can there, you can build families together. You can put families together. Amazing. You can have a great family. What I'm saying is if you can build some, something alike that's close to that ideal or even, or even the ideal, like that's insane. So me and my wife talk about like, how can we build that? How can we do this? How can we engineer this? And we actually, we'll go interview families and people like, I, one thing that I take, 
take away from my my dad and parents um, and my in-laws as well. They were very intentional parents. They weren't perfect parents, but they were intentional at least. Like they thought through at least a few things. Like how do I build confidence in my kid? What are some things I could do to build confidence in my kid or help them fit in better with adults and talk to adults better? Or like, you know what I mean? Like I had very, and we can dive into that topic as well, but sorry, I went on a, a little rant there, but that's no, the it. ideal. And I think that's the biggest flex on earth. And so me and my wife talk about this, like how do we build this massive family tree? So if if you could say that that breaks down, like in all of the conversations that you guys have had and the things that you're you're thinking you're going to focus on, if there were pillars, what would you say like the top one or two, maybe three things are that you think needs to go into? Because you're saying intentional parenting, but what does that look like? Yeah. And we're, to be, to be frank, we're still building this out. So we're, and I would, I, I got to come listen to your podcast and your other guests too, as you guys build this out as well. But um, the families that we've seen that do this very well are very centered on God and have a core of a religion that ties them together and binds their family to kind of a higher cause and to a, like, we're going to be a God fearing family. Like we're going to follow and follow God's commandments. Okay. Number one. Um, number two, I would say, like I mentioned before, I, I think anyways, those parents did a good job of building confidence and self-reliance in their kids. Meaning they, uh, even some are, some families that we identified are very rich, some are poor, but they, uh, across the board, those family, those, the kids in those families, at least in our opinions, felt like they had a, a sense of responsibility. They felt like they were contributors. They had built confidence. There's a lot of ways to do that. We could dive into that if you'd like. Um, as simple as like my dad does this, he makes sure all of his kids can swim at young ages. I'm talking 18 months. You saw Jonah at our thing. Like Jonah can swim really well. He's two years old. He can, he, because my, my dad in the back of his brain is like, well, people, most people tend to like what they're good at and build confidence off of those things. So a lot of kids swim when they're like four or five, you go to a swim birthday party. And if you show up when you're five years old and you can swim better than the other kids, it gives you confidence, like a natural confidence. My dad, the other thing he said, he's like, he, his, uh, he really wanted to learn how to read when he was going into kindergarten. But his mom always told him like, okay, just, just go to school. At school, they'll teach you how to read. At school, they'll, they'll teach you how to do arithmetic. And so he showed up to kindergarten his first day and he was, he was like excited to read. And the first day of class, the teacher said, okay, who knows the ABCs? Who can read? And like five kids in the class could read. And my dad said he felt behind. He goes, from day one of school, I felt behind. And he, he really was behind his whole school. He was, he was like three grades below his reading level, his whole middle school, high school, he graduated, barely graduated high school. In a, and they went to a barely like a, like he went to Dixie state university, which is like barely got in there, like not good. And he hated school his whole life and, and had to in college reteach himself how to learn. And he thought back and he thought, you know what, why did I hate school? And he goes, it's probably because that first day I felt like I was behind. And he goes, he goes, I wanted to engineer my kids and help them. Cause most people like what they're good at. So he goes, my kids, when they go to kindergarten, they're going to be able to read and do simple math. And sure enough, me and my brothers, the first day of kindergarten, we could do, we could read. And what happened was we came home from school. How was school? Oh, it was so fun. I loved it. I felt like I was ahead of my class. I was helping other kids out. Like I was, and like all of a sudden, bam, you have confidence in school. And me and my brothers, we went to public school. We didn't go to anything fancy, but what it did was like, I, I got pretty much straight A's my whole, and I actually really liked school. I went to a good university. I like, I loved learning. And it wasn't because I had tutors. I had, I had never had a tutor. I never had special outside school or help or anything. I went to public school, but I liked school because I think my parents engineered me to, cause I was good at it. I was good at school because I just started. So there's, you can do little things like that to, I think, engineer confidence and, and con contribution to society. I think team sports do another thing of that. When you play in a team sport and we can go on, there's tons of studies like Malcolm Gladwell, the whole study in the 10,000 hours and being ahead of your class. If you're, if you're born older in your grade, Sorry, I'm talking way too long, but I'll no, tell you this, this for example. So good. Hey, powerful parents, Stephanie here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Did you know that statistics show that 88% of Americans say they eat dinner with their family every night or a few times a week? I think that's a pretty awesome stat. But if you're anything like me and you're an entrepreneur, then after a day filled of putting out fires and maybe various events, testing your patience, sometimes it's hard to think of questions that can help you really connect with your kids beyond the standard, how was your day? When my kids were just littles, I put together a list of questions to solve this problem and to help us have something to connect with over dinner time. And now I would love to share my curated dinner questions with you. This is good for littles and for bigs. There's lots of different varying questions in there. 
And these questions are going to help to ensure that the conversation is not just lively, but will bring you closer to your children while you enjoy a delicious meal together. As a listener of this podcast, you can get access to these questions at www.powerfulparentingtribe.com. Once you're there, make sure to type in your best email and I'll have my team shoot over the questions for you. Once you get the questions, I encourage you to make this a family affair, print them out, have your kids help you cut them out. We even grabbed a mason jar and my kids decorated it. And that's where we put all of our questions. And that same mason jar still sits on or near our dinner table to this day. We've been using these questions for close to eight years now, and I've really enjoyed the fun conversation and connection that's come from them. I hope your family enjoys them as much as mine have. Again, that's www.powerfulparentingtribe.com. Now back to the show. I'm born in June. So they did this whole study, Malcolm Gladwell, this thing on uh, NHL players. They found that um, there was this anomaly like it was like 70% of NHL players had birthdays in January and February and March. And this one team, it was a team manager was like, why is that? And then they started looking through other teams in the NHL and like all these teams, it was like 70% of the players had birthdays in January, February, and March. And like, why would that be the case? And they went back and what they perceived was the cutoff in youth sports for hockey, at least in the United States is January 1st. The kids that were born in January, February, and March are eight months or 11 months older than kids that are born in November or December of that year. So what happens, he, he goes, what we perceived was the, you know, when you're seven years old on your first hockey game, when you're 11 months older than other kids, that's a big advantage when you're going, when you're a kid, right? So those kids performed better. And because they performed better, they liked hockey. And then because they performed better, they were put on the all-star team. And the all-star team has better coaches. And because they have better coaches, they have better chances to play more and they get more hours playing. And because of that, they then excel to the next level. And it dovetails all the way till they made the NHL and 70% of NHL players are born in those first three months. Wow. So interesting. That's so fascinating. And so for, so for example, I'm born in June. My parents uh, helped. I was in that bubble period, at least for school year, at least in, in my state. So I was older for my grade, almost by eight to 12 months for most of the kids in my grade. So I drove, I got my driver's license like earlier than everybody else. I could, I was just an older and bigger. And so I performed really well in sports. I was the captain of all my sports teams. And maybe I, I think I was an okay athlete, but also I think it was because I was a little bit older um, and a little bit more mature and I could talk to adults better. And so I liked school. I liked, I felt like I excelled. I felt like I was older. I was taller than most kids. And then now I'm like a pretty average height, but at least growing up, I was a little bit taller. And so it gives you the confidence We've actually, Jonah is born in August. We did that. We tried to, you can't always time when you have kids, but we kind of tried to time that so that he would be older for his grade. Um, we want to have another kid. And we're like, can we, can we engineer where they're born in those months so that they're older? So it, you just build in natural confidence because they're just a little bit older. They're a little bit stronger. They're a little bit, you know, whether it's sports or athletics or just talking or maturity there, you know what I mean? So I can go on that and on. That is like but the that's, perfect what, that's what I mean by intentional though. parenting, right? Like there's little things you can do to set your kids up for success. And the last one I think is just, I said self-reliance, but helping them have a strong sense of they're building their own thing. It's, it's not my money. It's, it's, you got your money. I got my money. We're separated. Anyways, we go on that, but I'll, I'll stop there. I'll let you comment. Sorry. Oh my <laughs> gosh. No, Bridger, you're, I'm loving this so much. It's so good and so valuable. And this is exactly why I wanted to bring on the podcast. I knew you guys are talking about these things and you're thinking differently about it. And I don't know if you recognize how differently you are thinking about it. I'm sure you probably do, but the fact that you are seeing what's out there and you're saying, that's what I want to model. And you're being so intentional about recreating that in your own version for your family is, um, um, is just phenomenal. And we're getting to chat about that here. Um, so I definitely want to talk about the more of the self-reliance too. But also one thing that I noticed whenever I got to hang out with you guys at Pirates Cove, uh, your wife, I love her, by the way, she is just a force to be reckoned with. I just, I love her spirit, her heart. Um, and I, But I also really enjoyed watching her mother, your son. There's a lot of mamas out there that um, can tend to be helicopter parents. And one thing I enjoyed about her, and I often talk about how a mom has a tether between her and her child, right? There's like this uh, a silent alarm that goes off in her head whenever a child gets X amount away from them. And I find that today, in today's world, there's so much, so much anxiety around our kids that that distance between the mom and the child is itty bitty now. And I'm not, I'm not going to like be like one foot, two feet. I don't know. But one thing I noticed specifically about your beautiful wife 
was your son was was not being pinned down. There wasn't there wasn't this helicopter parenting taking place. Matter of fact, it was such a relief because she carried about her this peace and he was doing things, exploring his surroundings. And she wasn't domineering that. She wasn't saying, don't touch that. Da, 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 da. Come back over here. You're too... Now, of course, if he got near the pool, she was watching very cautiously. You know, she didn't want him to fall in the pool, although apparently he could swim. So, but like he, she was, she was letting him have a long tether. And I personally, as a mom, feel like that's so important. And with all these moms nowadays and families in general who feel so much anxiety around fears because we have news media just pummeling all the possible things that can happen to our children that I think it's it's really impacted, especially in young boys, what they're able to actually experience as a toddler with exploring their environment and everything. Is there anything that you guys have talked about that has led to that? Because I, I felt like her her tether in a very healthy way was abnormally longer than what I, I typically see normally. Yeah, my wife's an amazing human. She's awesome, as you know. Like I, I adore my wife, and we are on this. Anyways, I, I loved growing up with her. We know like background so well. So I'll tell you a quick story that I think shapes this. We were, at, I was actually at church one time. So I was in church at the, on the pew, and right behind me, one of our neighbors, his kid smacked the pew like with his head, super hard. Like you know, a like a big thud, like boom. And I turn back and I look at him, and both the parents didn't move. And the kids, the kid looked up at him and with tears in his eyes and the dad was just like, nah, you're good. And then looked back up at the speaker and the kid was like, oh, okay. And bounced up. And then the dad turned and looked at me and he said, it's all the reaction of the parents does everything. And for whatever reason, I was like 12 years old. That stuck with me so hard. And we started to test this, at least with Joan. And I'm not the perfect parent. We only have one kid, but like he falls, crashes, whatever. If we just ignore it and or like oh you're tough you got this like you're up dude like no big deal he bounces up really quick and is fine uh, and if we run over to him and try to oh my gosh ooey gooey like oh i'm so sorry you okay then he'll burst into tears and i think me and my wife are both on that same page of like we want to we want to create warriors we want to create really tough kids we have a tough society i'm i uh i don't nothing you know i i do not want to raise weak children i want to raise kids that are like self-reliant kids that can talk to adults. I think that's one of the biggest things you can teach a kid is how to talk to an adult and order their own food, just stuff like that. And so my wife does a great job of like letting him crash and tumble and fall. And he's a, he's already a naturally like just running gun kind of a kid, at least our kid. And so she's, she's great at that. And like, lets him, I think it's, it creates a more stronger attitude and he's a very strong willed and just strong kid and just tough. I, the only time we helicopter, by the way, is at with when he's with other kids, because he'll he has a he has had a biting and scratching problem. And so we'll <laughs> hover to make sure other kids don't get hurt. Safe. <laughs> and we've actually we've actually tried to like bait other like parents like, hey, can your kid go punch our kid like to help? Cause he like, well, he'll just be mean and other kids are too nice. And <laughs> like, we then go like, we're trying to put him in timeouts or I don't know, all the, all the methods to stop biting. We've tried them all. We tried like a vinegar spray. That sounds bad. We've tried all these different things to like stop biting. <laughs> he loves to bite. And it's like, he's, he's actually the last couple of months he's been better, but we've, uh, we're, we actually sometimes hope that he, you know, gets a little taste of his own medicine sometimes. But, yeah, um, I mean, that's how you uh, learn, anyways, right? But no, my wife does a great job of that. And it's something we've talked about actually is I think it just builds self-reliance. We have, you know, I don't know. It just helps build confidence in kids at a young age. You know, if they can feel like they can swim or look around or do stuff and they're going to be okay too. You know, they're, well, and I, I, yeah. I think it is a testament to her as well, because she's not, she believes in that so much that she's not letting any kind of concerns or worries she has to prevent her kid from ex experiencing and falling and, and and knocking over that cup or stubbing his toe or, or whatever the thing might be. And I think that there's a lot of power in that because it wasn't that long ago that kids, that's how it was. I mean, I feel like there's somewhere in the middle where we need to be right from, you know, not having any oversight and our kids are just out there. Like I was a, a, a latchkey kid, you know, come home when the the lights outside are, go on and, and all of that. And then you've got like the polar opposite, which is like, you can't go outside without someone with you. You can't run to the store by yourself. You know, you like all of this restriction. And I feel like somewhere in the middle is what's really healthy for kids. And, um, maybe even leaning a little bit more over because 
the more you treat them like young, young, viable human beings, the more they're going to rise to that occasion at a younger age. So talk to me about how you're working on helping your kid or planning on helping your kids to talk to adults. Like what have you seen modeled that you think is probably going to work really well? Um, yeah, at least for me. And I, again, I'm, I'm saying this all from just a, with a grain of salt, but my, my parents at least, um, did a good job. I was the youngest kid. They made me always order my own food. They made me check out with my own food. Um, I see parents, you know, they got a 12 year old kid and they're ordering for their 12 year old kid. And I'm just like, man, what a disservice. What a chance. Uh, at Jordan Peterson's 12 rules of life. One of the things he talks about, like in there, he actually specifically says, teach your kids how to communicate with adults so that it makes them stand out more than anything else. If, if your kids can learn how to talk to and communicate to teachers, to coaches, to other, they'll get extra help. They'll get extra credit. They'll be able to advance in a lot of other ways that they can't uh, otherwise. If they're, you know, most, most kids aren't good at that. And so my parents, you know, would, and it, I think naturally I'm a, I naturally was a talkative kid. So it was easy, but they, they had us, or if you want food, you got to order, you know, it's up to you you know, okay, you don't need food. Like not a big deal. It's up, you know, like, and it, and, and, and then introducing, um, I'll, I'll just say this. I, I personally, my, one of my dad's business partners was very well-spoken. He, and they would tell me stories at the dinner table. My parents did a good job of this. I now have come to realize in the car at, they would always just tell stories about people around us and they would teach us through other people's experiences. And so they would be like, <laughs> Oh man, have you heard that kid, Eric down the street, like, or taught whoever it was, Oh, he's on drugs and he's stealing from people. And like, Oh man, it's ruined their family. And their parents were so sad. And like, they would talk about this drama going on of someone they knew. And I'd be like, Oh man, like subconscious, like, Oh, I never want to do that to my family, you know? Or like they, like one of them, my dad, they tell me that he's like, Oh, my business partner, man, he can talk to anybody. He can go in a room and he'll, there's a hundred people in there. He'll find the three most wealthy people and he'll get them to invest in our company. Like he's just an incredible talker. He can work a room. And for whatever reason that stuck with me. <laughs> and I was like, huh, I wonder if I could develop a skill like that where I could talk to people or like work a room or talk to teachers. So I started to, I started to practice like working with teachers and like, could I get, you know, if and teachers are there, like, and I started to realize, and I don't know if my parents kind of engineered this or whatever, but like, teachers at school, they have, you know, a handful of kids they really like, and they will do extra for those kids. And I started to realize this is like, huh? And I was like, how can I become one of those kids? Well, teachers like kids that sit up front, they pay attention, kids like they like the, they ask good questions, they're on pace with the teacher, they help the teacher out. And so in middle school and high school, I was not the smartest kid. I did not do that well in school. My test scores were pretty average. I got straight A's. Because I, my parents and they, they introduced books like how to win friends and influence people to me, like these kind of books like that at a young age and would share stories of other people that would do this. And they'd, oh yeah, your uncle, he, my uncle went to Harvard, your uncle went to Harvard and he just kind of, he was really good at talking to professors and getting grades up and stuff. And I was like, huh, I wonder if I could develop that skill. And I was, I mean, I was so good at <laughs> making friends with my teachers, learning how to talk to them, learning how to uh, like crack jokes with them and play to their ego a little bit. And they'd always give me extra credit. And I always got straight A's, um, even though my test scores were kind of okay. And I didn't do that well. And it, and I, that was, I think now that looking back, my parents, I think kind of engineered that by just passive stories they would tell about people in our life around the dinner table, in the car, all that kind of stuff. Um, just kind of cool. Yeah, the power of story, I think, in, in parenting is underrated. Like we know about the power of story in business, right? But then whenever we lean in and we actually uh, dive into it and think about the stories that we can tell to inspire our kids, it's, I think it's even more powerful because of our role in their lives. And so that's such a great point. Um, I've got two more questions for you. I know we're getting close. So I want to make sure that we get these, these last two questions in because I feel like it's going to be so good. Um, but what are you thinking about screens in our homes, like for you and, and for your son, like what, what direction are you looking there? Yeah, that's a great question. I love your top, your topic on this. I think it's for me, I'm just going to say it's a preface because we don't know what screens will look like in 10 years. Like we have no clue. And so I'm like, okay, well, um, so two thoughts, at least for me, and this is taken with a grain of salt again. I don't know anything. I don't know. I'm just, I'm giving my <laughs> thoughts. Okay. So, <laughs> um, I think, uh, first off, you got to lead by example. And so I'll just tell you what me and my wife currently have done. Um, the last three to four weeks, me and my wife have not had social media on our phones. Um, 
It's been crazy. It's actually been one of the craziest social experiences I've done. I got a brand new phone and I just, for whatever, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to log into my social media. And I'm, I don't know. I post on social media a lot. I, I have about a quarter million followers on social media. Like I'm like, should be, I'm on social media every day, like whatever. And I, and I thought forever, I was like, oh, it's my job. It's part of my business. Like I have to be on social media. And finally, I was like, you know what? I've got an assistant. They can post for me. Like, let's just, let's just try this out. The first day I opened the Instagram app, I don't know, 60 to 70 times, <laughs> but I wasn't logged in. So I'd open it and be like, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? And then I'd, I'd log out, but my thumb would naturally, I, I didn't realize how addicted I was. And I, I would say I moderate, in my opinion, I moderately use social media and I use it for posting and trends and stuff. Like I'm not on it that much. And I realized like, holy crap, you're addicted. Like you, your thumb just naturally is going to this thing, this app over and over. And then I started, I like started going to other apps like Instagram or like Facebook and then LinkedIn. And I, I wasn't, thankfully I wasn't logged in on those, but I was like, holy crap, like this is a problem. And so I was like, crap, now, if this is a problem, I need to actually be off of it. So it's been about three weeks, two weeks, two and a half weeks, three weeks. And we've pretty much been off social media. I log in once or twice to like, I sometimes post a few things, but then I log right out and it's been tough for me. And so the first thing I would say is like, I'm, I got to lead by example. Um, if I'm going to, try to figure this out for my kids. Like I got to figure it out for myself. And so, yeah, at the same time with screens, we currently like with Jonah right now, we'll use screen time as like a reward in the day or for like certain occasions when we need it. So we've, that's kind of how we've used it right now. He, he watches some show. He probably watches 20 to 30 minutes a day. I, I would guess. And it's used currently as a kind of reward if he does something well, or if we're in a setting that like he's done, he's, I don't know, just pooped in the potty or whatever it was. I don't know if that's the right thing to do or not, but, uh, going forward, I had, I'll just say the other side of it though. I had some friends in high school that were like, didn't have TV, didn't have phones, you know, couldn't like their parents were just so strict on that end. And to be frank, they were left out of a lot of things. And this is, I was in high school in 2012, 13, 14. I graduated in 2014 they were really left out. I had a couple of friends that like, there was just jokes and memes and funny stuff going on. And like, oh my gosh, this is so funny. And they just, they just didn't really couldn't get the joke. They like didn't know. And it was just a lot of conversations around what's going on. And so my, I, I'll, sorry, I keep going back to my parents. My parents, I think did a really good job of, of saying, this is a tool. This is a device. You've got to use it for good, not for evil. You're going to have to use devices eventually. So you might as well learn how to use it in the phone, in the home and use it appropriately. My dad said the same, this, I remember this quote, he's like, you could give two men a computer and one of them can figure out how to go to the moon or one of them can figure out how to make $10 million on just that computer, just clicking some keys on that computer and they go to the moon. Other men, all they can do is watch pornography. It's the only thing they can figure out how to do. Decide who you want to be. And I was like, dang, mic drop moment. Mic mm, drop. Woo. I was like, bam. And I, I think my parents really did a good job of, of helping us use devices for good and to better our lives. Um, and I, I would hope that we can, I can do that with my kids. I think it's going to be, a, and I've, that's why I'm in the process right now. Like I need to learn how to control myself first. So that's why we've been off social media. And so I'll, I'll leave it with that. Though. That's kind of my thoughts. Oh, so good. That's so good. Okay. So I'm going to, the question I usually ask towards the end of, of every podcast episode that I really value, it might put you on the spot just a little bit, or maybe it'll just come out Wonderfully. But the question is, is for Bridger Pennington, um, what does it mean to you to be a good father? You know, the more I go through business and life, and I mentioned that before, the biggest flex, I think, is someone who can build a really good family. I thought about it a lot. And I, I, the more I, and I'm still relatively early in my career and launching some fun businesses we've done. We've actually been very successful so far in what we've done. And um, that's, I'm, I think about that more and more really like what, what's the legacy you leave And And people always talk about like legacy, I'm going to build this thing. And like, to be frank, when you die, no one's going to remember you. Like I love Alex from has been hitting that super hard. He's like the queen of England died like two years ago, 18 months ago. She was the most powerful monarch for 80 years. And you literally haven't heard about her since I just, until I just brought her up right now. Like people forget pretty quickly about you. Like you're not that important. You're not that cool. Even some of the stuff you build is going to be gone or replaced in a handful of years. What is cool though, is the people, the next generation, and especially the next generation through your family. That's I, when you talk, when, at least for me, when I talk about a fan, like a family legacy or a legacy, I, I usually think of the family. And, um, 
one of my, I, I look at people that are successful and I always go like, show me your kids. I want to, I want to talk to your kids. I want to talk to your grandkids. Like show me the fruit, show me the fruit. And then I'll trust the roots, you know, in the tree, but show me the fruit. And so when I think about my family or being a dad, I, I think about like the fruit that we can produce. And, um, I hope to, maybe this can be, maybe I can look back at this podcast in like 10 years or 20 years. It'd be fun to listen to my thoughts like now versus then. But, you know, I, I, I hope my kids can have some scratches and some bruises and they're going to have life and life's going to happen to them. I don't want to coddle my kids. I want to give them tools and help prepare them to be warriors and be people that can go out and be strong contributors to society and do well in this world. And, and good luck. And this is your experience on life. And I'm going to try to help you out. I'll be a great mentor and coach alongside of you, but I don't want to be a helicopter parent. I don't want to be that. in. I want to be involved, but not that involved because I want them to have their own experiences. I want them to do their own thing and they're going to make mistakes. I don't want to be one. The last thing I'll share is my, my dad and parents did such a good job of not like they never came down on me super hard. And we're like, you got to do this. My parents I, I, uh, sorry, I'll, I'll leave it on this. I, sorry. And I'm going off on the side tangent here, no, no, but I sorry, thought it was so good. Um, like I've thought about this a lot of kids that rebel, you know, like kids when they're whatever age they want to rebel or be in a rebellious state. And I totally hit that. I was like, and I, I think most kids do. And my parents gave me nothing to rebel against. Oh, and it was so interesting. For example, uh, I shaved two lines in my eyebrow when I was like 13 because all these rappers were doing it. I thought it was cool and I was kind of edgy, you know. And it was kind of cool eyebrow, though, like, Bridgerton. It was kind of cool. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I was pretty cool. I came home and I was like expecting my parents to be like mad or talk about it. And my dad kind of looked at me and he was like, huh, and didn't say a word about it. And I felt so stupid. <laughs> like I was like, this is so dumb. And uh I had another family friend that talked about, he read a, actually a book that talked about this concept of like, when your kids do something good, give them attention. And when they do something bad, like don't give them attention. And he's like, he's like, my daughter came home. He said with a, a, a diamond tooth one day. <laughs> and he's like, she's like 15 and she came home and his wife was like, don't say a word. And he just looked at her and was like, huh, okay, interesting. And then just, they just went on with their day. And like a week later, she took it off and like, He's like, my kids can't rebel because they know I'm, I'm always there for them. And I'm like, I'm going to be their dad forever. And I'll just share something that my dad taught me that I hope to tell my kids. But I, when, I was, when I was 12 years old, my dad gave me the birds and the bees talk. And you know, he sat me down. He's talking about like, what's a menstrual cycle and what's, a, you know, what's sex and all these topics, right? And he finally said this, changed my life forever. He said, Bridger, I have you know, my life. I have a house, my cars. This is my life that I've built. And he goes, if you go to high school and you have a girlfriend and you have sex with her and you get her pregnant, he goes, I'll, I won't be mad at you. And I was like, what are you talking about? Of course you'd be mad at me. He's like, no, he's like, your mom, she'll probably be furious because me, I won't be mad at you. I promise. I'm your dad. I'll love you forever. And he goes, I'll try to help you out as much as I can. Like I I'll help hold that baby. You can come live in our basement, whatever. But like, just so you know, I'm going to, I'll play with that baby. It's my grandkid. I'll play with that baby. I love that baby. But when that baby's poopy and it's time to go to bed, I'm going to take that baby and hand it back to you. And that's your baby. <laughs> like you got to take care of that kid. And that's the life you chose. And I'll help you out as much as you can, but that's your life. He goes, if you go to high school and get on drugs and alcohol and do all these things and these vices and you come and tell me about it, he goes, I'm not going to be mad at you. He goes, we'll take you to rehab. We'll go help you out. But just understand you're the one who has to overcome those addictions. Not me. If that's your life. That's the life you chose. I'm going to help you out as much as I can. I'm your dad. I'll love you forever. I'm with you forever. We're on a team. We're, we're tied eternally together. But you're the one that has to overcome those addictions. I can't overcome them for you. He says, on the contrary, if you want to go to school and you get good grades and become a successful doctor or lawyer or whatever, like you have this big, beautiful house in the hill and you drive a cool car and you have this great life. He goes, that's your life. It's not my life. That's your life. That's the life you get to have and build. And he said, don't do anything in life because your dad wants you to do it or your mom wants you to do it. Do it because you want to do it. He goes, if you want to go be a ballerina and go live a whatever, like, dude, I'll be there. I'll cheer you on. I'll come to your shows, whatever you want, dude. Just do it for you though. Don't do it for me or for whatever. And I remember leaving that meeting totally changed. And I remember going to school, seventh grade, I went to school and I started going to school because I wanted to go to school. Cause I was like, I need to get good grades. Cause I need to go to college. I need to like have a life. Like I need to build something for myself. And I remember I got, um, 
I got a 4.0, like straight ace. I brought it home to my dad. I was like, dad, I got a 4.0. Like, aren't you so happy for me? Like, and he was like, cool, congrats. And I was like, oh, he's like, those are your grades, man. Like, congrats to you. That's you. That's not me. That's you. That's what you get. That's what you've built for yourself. And I was like, oh yeah, these are my grades. And my parents lived up to that. Like, I was like, I love going skiing. And I was like, hey, can I go skiing? They're like, dude, it's your life, man. Whatever you want to do. If you want to skip school, whatever. I can't control you. We can't control you. You can skip school every day if you want. But just understand, you've got to deal with the consequences. And so I would skip school all the time and go skiing. But I would always, I always still got straight A's. And they're like, cool, whatever you want to do. Like, you manage your own life. You just figure it out. And what happened was I, and I, maybe every kid's going to be different, but at least for me, it gave me so much responsibility. And like, oh, like I'm in charge of my own life. My parents are just like, they're mentors with me, but like, this is my life. And I couldn't rebel. Like, does that make sense? Like I couldn't, if I did something bad, like it was like, oh, well, that sucks for you. That means your life is worse off. We got our life. Our life is fine. And um, when I talk about like something that I want to leave for my kids, I, I hope I can do something like that for them where they feel like they're in charge of their own life. They're conquerors of their own life and they're have a great team behind them. And, and yeah, we might have, I don't know. Well, I, every kid's got to live their own life and you can't control them their whole life. You know what I mean? And so I think about being a dad, I, I hope to instill something like that for my future kids. And maybe we'll do this interview in 20 years and see how it went. But that's kind of yeah. how I think about it. I'm going to set the date on the calendar right now, Bridger. <laughs> okay, um, perfect. But, but the cool thing is though, I think that there, it makes me wish I could interview your father because it there ta- there's a lot of internal growth and a lot of... um just a lot of internal growth that has to take place inside of a mother or a father in order to be able to, to do that and actually live it out. Because, um, oftentimes parenting is about who we think we are and is it reflected in our children and to hands off like that is something that takes a a level of uh, maturity in the human soul to be able to parent in that way. So I'm, I'm so curious about that in him and, and you on this journey to parent similarly is, is so fascinating to me. We do have to schedule it and just check in um, because it's, it it is different with every kid. Uh, It's also different with every parent and how they parent and their experiences, but that's what this podcast is all about. And that's why, like, I, I know everybody who's listening right now, um, if your jaw isn't on the floor, I mean, you haven't been listening because there's so much truth. In, and I know Jonah's only two years old right now, but Bridger, what you do and what I've seen and in, in who you are as a human and as a man on this earth is you're, you're optimizing, you're looking for how do I leave that legacy? And you're, you're, um, really smart about the way that you're looking at the world and kind of hacking it essentially in all these different verticals. And I think that that's what's, um, just so, uh, intriguing to me and in, in what you've kind of brought to the table. And obviously we all know you, you know, you're, you're new into it, but the, the things and the observations you're making, I think are so wise to be had at, at the journey at point that you're starting at and where you are. And so I hope everybody who's listening that you don't necessarily feel maybe your kids are 10 years old or 15 or whatever. And you're like, dang, I wish I would have heard this like 10 years ago or 15 years ago. But the truth is, is these are principles that can be applied, I believe, at any age. And I've seen that as I have grown in my parenting journey, having not started out with a rule book, nobody's got the rule book. Nobody has the play-by-play blueprint because every child is different. Every parent is different and what you bring to the table. But there are guiding principles that can help all of us. And some of the things that Bridger's been talking about and that we've brought up today are guiding principles that can help us uh, sidestep some of the mistakes that maybe our parents made or that we see other people making. And so I hope you you leave encouraged from this podcast because um, Bridger at such a young age is already figuring out so many cool things and amazing things that some of us sometimes like, dang, I wish I didn't take me so long to learn this. And so Bridger, I just can't say thank you enough uh, for coming on. And then also two, two things. I want y'all to know that Bridger has one of my favorite podcasts on any platform. It's called Bullish. And I don't know, the name didn't connect with me right away because I'm not like into funds and finances and all that. But I met Bridger and I was like, well, I want to hear what he's got to say. So I started listening to his podcast. And I have to tell you, it is one of my top favorite podcasts, the thoughts that he brings. And so I want to encourage you to check out Bullish. And then also too, Bridger and his whole team, they actually have a free course on funds. And so Bridger, would you tell everybody about that? Because if you are interested in funds at all, and you want to connect with Bridger, I'd love for, for them to just know how they would do that. And what is it about? Yeah, total 180 here. But yeah, if we teach about investment funds, how like 
private equity hedge funds, venture capital, real estate funds work. Um, I run, I've ran three funds myself and my dad ran funds. My brother runs investment funds. And so we put together a course. Uh, it's totally free. We have paid stuff and coaching and stuff, out there, but we, we give away a full free course. We just want more people to understand this game of finance and Wall Street. So if you go to fundlaunch.com, uh, you can go check it out there. And thank you for the shout out on, on bullish. It's kind of a fun, you know, fun talk. Bullish is like you have bulls and bears in the market. Bullish means you're generally like optimistic about the market. And so um, anyway, it's kind of fun though. But Stephanie, you're amazing, dude. What a great episode. And thanks for asking me so many. I want to come, I want to hear all your answers to those questions. And I, we got to come back and listen to the podcast. And I, I anyways, you're amazing. So I, Absolutely. by the way, people that are listening to this, Stephanie is the same person. She is on camera as she is off camera. She is salt of the earth and amazing. Her, her and her husband do an incredible job. And I've get to, I got to know them personally. And so just huge shout out to you, Stephanie, for what you do. And so sometimes you have like, you listen to people online, like, what are they like in real life? Stephanie is like the salt of the earth. Like someone that you want to hang out with, you want to be around, you want your, like, you would just want to be around her. Just so you guys are aware. She's an incredible human. And so thank you so much for having me on today. Thank you. And I feel the same way about you and your beautiful wife. Um, guys, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to reach out to Bridger, uh, give us a review. And um, I just thank you so much for listening, you guys. It's not about being perfect, but it is about how can we show up powerfully for our kids today because they deserve it. Thank you for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed our episode today on the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast. Make sure to hit follow and subscribe so that you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. You're not going to want to miss a thing. I promise. If you were impacted by this episode, do me a favor and leave a review with a comment. I read every one of them and I also pass them along to our guests. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links at powerfulparenting.com forward slash podcast. If you want to see more behind the scenes with me and my guests, be sure to find me on Instagram or Facebook. It's where we can have deeper conversations on these podcasts. Take care. And remember, it's not about being a perfect parent. It's about taking each day and working on showing up powerfully for our kids. They deserve it, and you are the parent for the job. See you on the next episode.